and welcome to this, the fifth episode in the second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I'm your host, the self-appointed cheerleader and chief of Irish theatre, Angus Og McAnally, artistic director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is brought to you thanks to the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. And as ever, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never, ever charge for these podcasts. However, we do ask you to go and put your hand in your pocket and support Irish theatre. Easiest way to do that is to go and buy yourself some tickets. Uh, If tickets are slightly out of your price range this week or this month, maybe go and look at one of the crowdsourcing websites, the fund.ie's, the Indiegogo's, see if there's a theatre project over there that you can throw a fiver towards. And of course, there's a whole heap of ways that you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and spread the word about this podcast. The wider we get out there, the wider the word about Irish theatre gets out there, and it all helps keep things ticking over. You can tell people about this podcast in person, over a pint, over a cup of coffee, on a moonlit stroll maybe. Um, You can of course share the link on Facebook, you can retweet it on Twitter. Um, Do go over and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and while you're there maybe leave us a review and uh, if you can also click to rate us on their five star rating system, it does a huge amount to help us and boost us in charts and algorithms and all that kind of stuff. Um, And as ever you can follow us on Facebook, we are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland and you can follow us on Twitter we are at Rise Ireland and it's been another lovely week here at Rise Towers we have been taking up residence in the Civic Theatre in Tala for the final week of the tour of The Good Father um, again selling out every night and getting standing ovations and it's all very wonderful it's kind of feels like I'm banging on about it every week but it's just it's really rewarding um, it's a lovely show that we've put our uh, a lot of our hard work into and I'm delighted that it's really connecting with audiences, and uh, also we're ramping up for the big show this Sunday in the Board Gosh. The Christy Hennessy tour is coming to play the Board Gosh Energy Theatre, which is uh, which is quite something. Seven years in business with Rise here, we've taken it from fifty seat theatres, Bewley's and Grafton Street, to, to twenty two hundred in the Board Gosh, which is which is not nothing. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to that on Sunday. It's going to be a hell of a night. So it's been a busy week, um, but it'll calm down hopefully a little bit once we get past this weekend. And I can settle into enjoying some kind of a break over the Christmas. And look, so that brings us to our guest this week. And this is a really interesting one because it's the great Steve Murray, um, a guy who we've been involved with at Rise over the last couple of shows. Um, he's been so influential in determining the aesthetic of of our work here at Rise. And I think for an awful lot of the industry, to be fair, um, the guy's incredibly prolific and uh, is an awesome guy. And, you know, he's an actor as well. So he brings that personal insight and experience to all his design work. He's a really interesting guy and it's a great conversation. So look, let's get straight into it. Here it is, the great Steve Murray. The wonderful Steve Murray on the podcast. Hi, friend. Hello, Ingo. How are you? <laughs> you seem delighted to be here. I, I feel like um, Garth and Wayne in Wayne's world, where they bow down to Alice Cooper and say, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. Well, please always conduct yourself in that manner in my presence. <laughs> um, all right, my friend, let us go back to the beginning. Um, as we know, you come from the long line of the Brennan theatrical dynasty, and that's why you got into the business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, um, go on, take us back to the start. Where did it start for you? Uh, it started in um, the Coombe Hospital in 1988. Are you uh, that young? 
Yeah, I know. Asshole. Never be my friend again. I don't feel young. Um, I grew up in Tala, and I guess in a way, like, Mam was involved in Tala Theatre Group. Um, which So I would have been around a lot of kind of O'Casey and Beckett Productions, you know, amateur productions. But I never, it was never pushed on me, or never, I never even took to it. I was just around them, you know, that kind okay. of way. Um, so I never considered it uh, as an avenue. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I guess just about the age of 12, I, you had to write in your confirmation book, what do you want to be when you're older or something like that. And I, I wrote architect. Because I always remember at school when, uh, when we used to get given bits of paper and all the other kids would draw superheroes or uh, racing cars or whatever. I'd always draw a building, a house or a city or a skyscraper or a football stadium or something, uh, almost obsessively, you know. Um, so there was a few clues in there. Um, and then I guess, so I kind of had my mind fixed on that then, you know, CAO, got to get those points, got to yeah. get into architecture, that's what I want to do, kind of one track mind. So I kind of plugged away a lot at school and then in those kind of mid-teenage years, started kind of rebelling, I guess, by doing impressions of the teachers. That's my way of rebelling. Yeah, I know. So Hardcore. Yeah, hardcore, yeah. Such a, such a, a bad boy. So um, <laughs> I, yeah, that was kind of my little rebellious streak, was kind of making, making fun of the teachers. And I remember just someone whispered to me, we were helping out at some conference in the school or something, we used to get pocket money. And uh, I was doing impressions and we were playing with, a video camera or something that was the new thing at the time and they said oh, you could be an actor and my ears just kind of peaked up but I was like oh really no one's ever said that to me before and I never really considered it and I kind of you know went to the back of my mind for a couple of years and and then I got the points in the end for architecture so I went to UCD and just just got it. <laughs> uh, and while I was there in the first couple of weeks, a freshers week, um, there's a freshers tent kind of thing where you sign up to different societies, come and go look and photography society and different things like that. And I just saw the drama stand and I said, I remembered that person that told me, you know, you could be an, you should be an actor and I kind of brushed it off. And uh, yeah, I signed up and was in a play the next week and it all just kind of went from there. So, like, Dramsock has been so influential for a whole heap of people, going right the way back through generations, I think, to the, the Barry McGoverns of the world and all that. Um, how did you fit in there? What did you do there? Is that Was that exclusively acting at that stage, or was there already little bits of design and stuff creeping in too? Yeah, it was a great spot. Um, and what was great for me was that because my course was so long, um, so architecture was five years. Is it? Yeah, and a year nerd. in the middle. <laughs> yeah, absolute nerd. And then there was a year in the middle, so it's six, and then you get a year of grace at the end. So I'd, I basically had seven years in Jamstock to mess around. Get a real job, you know. bum. Hang on, explain to me why it's so long. That makes no sense to so me. So you do a, an undergrad, that's three years in architecture, yeah. uh, and then you do a year out. So I worked for a photographer for a year. Okay. Um, pretty much in Germany. And then uh, you come back and you kind of do like a master's, which is part of the course. It's changed a little bit now since I've left. It's okay. Kind of, it's two more separate things, and you have to pay for the masters. But okay. for us, it was free, so I was like, "Well, hey, let's do this. <laughs> Absolutely, um, let's go." And on. it's great because by the end, your thesis and your your dissertation become about what you want them to be about. So yeah. my, I think my thesis, you basically design all these fake buildings in real locations. You know, they're never actually built, so you could have them 
suspended off a blimp if you wanted to, you know, if you could justify your reason for doing so. Yeah. Um, so my thesis ended up being, a, being a, a Gwail skull with a stage at its heart, so for the community, and I designed it through photography. Um, so it's kind of a coming together of all my loves in a way. Was it with a view to Pori Pierce starting a new revolution in a Gwail skull with a stage at the heart? Look, if certain things had gone a certain way, you know, who knows what might have happened. You could uh, be in Portley's prison now. Yeah, 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 handcuffed up. I don't know actually, no, but it basically got me, gave me a chance to kind of keep, um, keep interested in it, you know. And I was very interested. It was a great course. Um, and Dramsock was a kind of a distraction, you know, and it gave me a deadline because the thing about architecture was, I study in architecture anyway, and probably in, in the profession as well, that there's not much, um, there's not many minimum requirements excuse me, there's not many maximum requirements. So okay. they might say to you, we want this drawing, uh, this model, and uh, this, uh, I don't know, sketch by Friday. And you do those three things. And then you look at your neighbor's desk in the studio and you kind of go, oh, they're doing a, oh, they're doing a different plan. Right. Or they're doing a section or they're doing a, a similar sketch. Or maybe I'll do one. And it's kind of limitless right. how much stuff you can kind of do to support your project. Um, so it gave me, Dramstock gave me a deadline because I needed to be at a studio at six o'clock to get over for seven o'clock to see a show or to rehearse um, so it was good it was a nice distraction who was your gang in Dramsock because there kind of tends to be these waves of people coming through and I love the, the through line of well you know the people a few years ahead of me knew the people a few years ahead of them and those kind of stories come down uh, who was who was knocking around when you were there um, it was a kind of great we had a great year anyway but then that kind of it doesn't really matter what year you're in then because it all kind of gets muddled up and mixed up and as I said I was there for so long <laughs> that I kind of saw two generations come through. Right. If you get like two almost like typical arts degrees, almost yeah. three year and three year cycles. So I guess in my year we had the likes like Finbar Doyle and Ger Adlam, and a couple of years ahead of me it would have been uh, like Steve Jones. Dave Flem was a couple of years ahead of him again, maybe hundred years ahead of him. Who knows? Um, and then we had like after myself there was kind of Katie McCann, Ian Toner, uh, Trina Ennis, Trina Daly in my year as well. Um, it's kind of endless. Yeah, it you does know. seem to have been a particularly yeah. fertile period over there. We had a production of Hamlet that Jonesy directed, and if you look back at the cast photo, nearly everyone's in it. Gavin Dre, um, all these names are coming back to me. Yeah, I mean, everyone's still around. Everyone's yeah. still doing stuff, which is great, you know. Uh, and so, were you mostly doing acting with Dramstock? Any directing? Any designing? What else? It was mainly acting, and then I remember. Um, after, at the end of first year, Uncle Kenny said to me, and Sarah Cregan said, you know, there's this new job coming up next year on committee. I say job, uh, I mean torture. Uh, it was called Visual Design Artist, um, or we shortened it to VDA, which to me sounded like a disease. Um, I don't want VDA, I said. Uh, but I went for it anyway, I ran for it, you do this kind of speech, and people vote for you. And I think I might have ran uncontested, I don't remember. So I got in anyway. And then I ended up doing about 40 posters because I don't know if you know about Jamsuk, but there's like two shows a week. Wow. And they say it's the most active drama uh, society in Western Europe or something like that, which is, I don't know, no one's actually probably ever gone to bother to, to prove that. But um, yeah, we ended up, do, ended up doing like something like 30 or 40 posters a year. A lot of them really bad. This is before like I had a decent camera. Yeah. So a lot of them were kind of like just graphics or stock images or... And a lot of it was just that, the same as on stage, just, you know, just testing things out, making mm. mistakes. Um, but interesting that it was a chance to be that kind of prolific that early. And, and as you say, to try out all those, get out all those mistakes out of the system. Exactly. And what was kind of handy for me then, in a way, was that 
when everyone else graduated, I was still there making those mistakes. <laughs> they were out making plays and starting to do readings and get scripts into places. And uh, so when they needed a poster or a logo or a photo or whatever, um, they could turn to me. So I started picking up bits of part-time work while I was still doing my master's. And so during that time of the master's, at that point in your head, are you still thinking, and then I will make Croke Park 2, and then I'll make the, you know, the new Abbey and the new Bus Aurus <laughs> and all that? Or what was, where was your head at at that mm. stage? Well, I guess the, the landscape of, like the built environment in Ireland had changed a lot. You've got to remember, I went into college 2006, and you go in, and it's all these, you know, there's cranes all over the city. I remember getting the bus in Tala, and it goes up in the hill at Walkinstown there. And you can see across the whole city, you can see the, the water tower and you see things like, I'll see you in an hour and a half, because uh, you just have to get two buses in. And then you look across the city and it was and Dundrum and uh, everywhere, Cherrywood, all these cranes. And you know, and that's what architecture was to me as a kid. It was football stadiums and skyscrapers and oh, you're a cigar, oh, you're gonna be a millionaire kid. And it, was about, it wasn't, you know, you think you're gonna be this kind of, because it is portrayed like that in the media, you know, in rom-coms and things. And then you go in and after about two weeks you realise it's actually about community and sustainability and much, much more, uh, much more important stuff, you know, a bit more intense. And so by the time I finished, it says in 12, you know, That's, that's a good time to come out of yeah. the construction industry. <laughs> completely changed, completely changed. Half my year went to London, to Melbourne, Sydney, Berlin, New York, and a handful of us stayed here. And of course in that time, the bug had caught me in terms of acting, because in Dramstock I started off doing very small stuff, you know, um, Monty Python style scripts written by like Neil Sharpson, and, and um, we were just messing around. And then Jonesy gave me a, a a role as a kind of a support to Peter Coonan in the Billy Goats at Glenview Park, which went on to have like uh, student drama success and all. And so it kind of it tippled along where it kind of started rising up a bit, and all of a sudden you're playing Macbeth or see in Terminus or um, kind of great characters like that um, so that that book had caught me and there was kind of no way I could come out this is maybe five years ago now and I knew I wanted to start a photography company because I'd already been doing the part time work yeah. so there's no way I could have come out and being an actor and an architect well it would have it would have been pretty tricky to tell your boss you know hey boss you know we have that concrete pour tomorrow you know the 40 million concrete pour that we have one chance to do we only have 20 minutes to do it yeah I gotta go be a clown for an hour Raymond Keane is that alright you know I gotta go do some clowning uh, it wouldn't have really worked it's so. a little trickier yeah. to be fair <laughs> so the, the photography and the acting seemed like a good plan and uh, it's been working out so far interesting so I mean, as you say, keeping up the design and stuff for the gang that got out ahead of you and in the business, did that, was that an easier way in as to kind of unlock the business and get in to know people who are making work anyway, that you can start auditioning for stuff and getting gigs? Yeah. Um, you mean in terms of acting? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was kind of very insulated. I mean, I have to even admit, I discovered this whole series of the podcast in one, one big book. Right, okay. Um, because I was very kind of almost reclusive in Jamstock, you know, and, and also in, in architecture, you kind of have to be. It's almost like lockdown. Um, and so this city then became this new playground um, where oh, I could listen to all these podcast episodes and I could um, go to all these new theatres and new spaces and new rehearsal rooms and meet all these new people. And it's still happening, you know, it's still, it's always, it's always um, developing. But it became, yeah, this whole new world, um, and we started doing yes yeah, some small readings and then 
I guess one big factor was Theatre Upstairs kind of coincided with that. And Karen and Laura had me in to do photos for, I think it was Gary Duggan. I did some production photos for, he had two short plays on. Yes. Um, and I think it would have been, rec- again, because friends had in my year in drama, like had been out at two or three years ahead of me. They were kind of, it's almost like they did the dirty work. And then they're like, oh, we know this guy, which is really handy and I'm forever grateful. But uh, they they would have kind of put me in touch. And then I think I did a poster for Finbar for conversation with a cupboard man yeah which would have been very early on in the life of yeah. uh, theatre upstairs as well I think it would have been in their first few months yeah maybe sounds about right yeah yeah I don't Perfidia was their first mm. show they also gave me the space there to put up some photos I put some photos up on display um, as a kind of exhibition they used to use the, the green room yeah or the, the foyer area as a as an exhibition space um, so that was kind of great and that just really snowballed from there because they've been great Any anyone that comes through they kind of recommend me which is nice uh, and you've also worked there quite a bit as an actor yeah so talking about a couple of the shows um, you did the show with Katie Tales from Briar Hall am I Tales right? Tales from Briar Hall yeah uh, I think that was the first I think I'd done a couple of readings maybe there um, but then that was probably the first show which was fun I mean what's great about Theatre says is it's all original yeah so I know what's great about doing work in terms of photography and design is that you're the first person to give an image I guess I mean of course the director and the set designer will have visions and images in their head but you're the first person to kind of put that all into one little box and wrap it up Um, but as an actor yeah Briar Hall was the first and then I think about a year later uh, we did Panned by Katrina Daly which is a one man yeah that's something I want to talk to you about A because of the team that was on it and B because of the kind of I was going to say fraternity, but that's a little bit exclusive. Whatever the whatever the male and female fraternity and sorority of uh, of doing a solo show because it's a very different beast. Um, talking a bit about the team that were behind Pant and what it was like to work with them, uh, and then also just the experience of going out there doing a solo show like that. Mm, great show, great. Um, probably one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. Uh, but what made it great was that we had a great team, as you said. So Katrina Daly was writing on Carrick. My buddy was directing. Uh, we had Ennis producing and obviously we had all the support from theatre upstairs as well um, so I remember reading the audition piece because um, we did audition everyone thinks oh just because you're mates yeah. you got it. we did audition and I didn't think I was going to get it um, I had another audition for something else beforehand which was I remember learning that in uh, about two hours and it took me two days to learn the pan piece and they were the same length two pages wow um, we did the auditions in here ITI and it was tricky because uh, Pan basically just is is about something like 8,000 words and it's about uh, 45 minutes long and I think I think the rule of average for 8,000 words is usually an hour and a half so it was twice the pace of a normal piece um, I played 20 characters over the easy. course of those 45 minutes yeah, easy. easy wake up do it my sleep and it was tricky again because it was the first time doing it we didn't know the rules and I think the guys might have been using the auditions as a way to try and figure out those rules you know, how do you play if it's all in his head how do you play other characters uh, how do you play his inner voice his outer voice um, is there, there's no real um, exposition in it either so it kind of just flows um, so it was tricky to figure out but we got there we got there um, and what was the process like in, in terms of putting together because I I mean, I tell stories about when we're doing fight night that often I would wait for the other character to give me a cue to deliver the next line. 
until I would remember that I am the other character as well and that cue isn't coming. Yeah. Um, it's, it can be a bit lonely in the room yeah, making yeah. a show like that. I think so. I mean, we could only really rehearse for two or three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, at this stage, I had a studio space up in South Studios as a photographer. So we were able to use that as a rehearsal space, which is a big bonus. It's pretty hard to get spaces sometimes. Um, it also, I should say, it developed initially as a 20-minute um, in-progress piece in collaborations, which right, is okay. never seen and heard in Smock Alley. So that was a great place to just to test it out and see what lands. And we think we realised after that that it was all up in the head and up in the voice, whereas actually we needed to bring it into the body. Um, not that it became a, an overly physical piece, but that each character and each movement flowed. So it wasn't so staccato. Um, it flowed from one to the other. And that kind of made it almost like a choreographed dance, I guess. Um, even though you, you were still very present. Yeah. If that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but it meant we could flow from, you know, his mate Gary to his mate Tom back to him in one kind of movement that would mix those three um, and then stitch that with the other 7,000 words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very easily done. Um, so then, like, around this time, you become the go-to guy for photography and for kind of poster design. Um, and I... I said on the last series of this that, that Paul Keoghan, who I adore, had been kind of to the forefront for establishing the aesthetic of Irish theatre over kind of a period of a decade or more, in that just he had been so influential in terms of set design and light and design that he'd really shaped a lot of the look of a lot of the big shows of Irish theatre. I don't think it's a stretch to say that you have been, well, I, I guess kind of single-handedly put a stamp on the aesthetic of how Irish theatre is presented to the public over the last five years or so um, I know you're going to be too humble to take that but I'm just going to say it that's recorded now so you can do whatever the fuck you want with it um, talk to me about how you go about collaborating with people to to create that imagery how do you like to go about it uh, well firstly I'm going to come back and say that that's completely ridiculous uh, there's other people out there obviously that are doing great work I'm very lucky that the people I work with are busy bees and um they're very good at crediting me. So it looks like I'm doing a lot more <laughs> than I am. Than I, am. Um, uh, I guess how I'd like to go about it generally is I like to just talk and chat and get a feel for it. Because as I said, they're normally new pieces. Yeah. So it's not like you're tapping into you know uh, classic themes. This in, is the plow of the stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you're generally trying to find... I'm, I'm, I'm still figuring a lot of this out. Uh, and it's always changing. I'm always learning. I'm generally trying to find what that director's vision is and what their take on it is even if it's a new piece because um, otherwise it just becomes a book cover yeah. you're, you're responding to the text so I'm generally trying to tap into what this production is given um, as opposed to what the text is given us I mean obviously you, you try to respond to those themes as well so it's generally more about the tone if that makes sense uh, I generally sit down with the director and maybe the writer and obviously you've got to keep the producer happy as well uh, ultimately the job is to sell tickets yeah, you and that's a, is that a tricky thread to weave through the beauty of your artistic vision or the brutality of the whatever? I mean, that ultimately it needs to be eye-catching enough to grab people's attention and hold their attention for long enough to go, okay, well, I will click on that website and buy two tickets. Yeah, well, that's the trick, isn't it? I guess that's the initial, the initial grab, and then I'd hope that there's an after effect where... Look, I think, I think a show... And this is something I'm, I'm open to changing my thoughts on, but I think a show starts when you first see that image. Uh, and that's not to take away from the performances or the direction or the work in the room but for me anyway I'm first interested yeah when it's announced maybe you can you can, you know on a website you can see it but generally it's announced with an image um, 
and that's generally when those seeds start growing and I think a show stops when you stop thinking about it and that could be in a year it could be that night it could be never no, I'm, still thinking. Yeah. <laughs> could be. I'm still thinking about shows I went to see you know a few years ago so um, that's I think the kind of time span and that, there's a lot of pressure on that in a way because you want to want to post to that um, or an image or a series of images that tick the initial box in terms of buy now tickets here yeah. you know bought book now but also an image that resonates with people after they come out of the theatre so they kind of go oh I didn't notice that on the poster that she's holding a rose and actually it was him holding the rose Ooh, you know <laughs> whatever it is layered yeah, yeah, layered yeah, and subtle yeah. stuff deep, I like deep. It. some meta <laughs> So that's kind of, I mean, it's trying to tap into that sort of stuff. Um, generally, I like, I mean, what's been working so far is if either side is quite strong. So generally, they, they might present a series of images or a series of just talk to me about how it feels and then let me go off and do my thing. Mm. And there's a trust. And I guess it's great with people I've worked with a lot that there is um, there is that kind of shorthand now. Mm. Do you know where they go? He's got this. It's grand. Well, that's I, certainly, I have felt that you've been massively influential in our aesthetic with Rise. And like the the big one for me, having had you on board for quite a bit beforehand, the big one for me was I knew when we were going into the festival with at the Ford, um, that we were going to struggle for airspace, in that we weren't the biggest company there, we weren't doing five nights on the Gaiety or in the Abbey or something, that we were going to be a smaller show within this massive machine, and I knew that we didn't have you know ten grand of a publicity budget to get stuff out there, so I knew the one thing we needed was. A ridiculously striking and arresting image which you delivered in absolute spades it's still one of my favorite images from any show not even that we've done but any show that anyone's ever done um now it helps that rachel Oberon has that presence <laughs> on camera as well but you did phenomenal work on that it's good fun yeah. yeah and we tried to match it up then didn't we with yeah we did with me and toner yeah I, i'm less striking on camera than either of them but i think we got away with it something's not quite working here you know? <laughs> what it could be what is the one difference in the whole fact what is the one this? element yeah. that was good um but yeah so but so you have i think you have the capacity and it was one of those things where i kind of came to you with a few ideas for where i was going but i did have that level of trust in that i knew that you could work your magic and would work your magic on it um but i think Oftentimes, I think what happens with you is I have a reasonable idea of what I think I might want, um, and then I let you roll the dice with it, and you do you incorporate everything that I've said I wanted, but you kind of filter it through your own eye and your own sense, and it is something that ends up being infinitely more than the sum of its parts, which I, I love about it. Mm. Um, talk to me then about that, collab- a bit more about the collaboration. Do you like if someone comes to you with a load of imagery, a load of stuff, or can be quite prescriptive, or do you prefer total free reign, or is it somewhere in between the two? I think you need to know when to pass it off and when to, you know, pass on the baton. If that makes sense, mm. um, is that the phrase? Pass on the baton. Yeah, yeah. But the torch is it a torch? Mm. What do people pass on? Batons and torches, Real, yeah. maybe flaming batons. Flaming baton torches. Um, yeah, I think it's knowing when to kind of step off because even sometimes on a shoot, a director or uh, someone can start chipping in and it's knowing when to take that on board and how to deal with that I mean I think it's 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 either two extremes they come and they go this is what we want can you just do this and you just slot in and you provide um, I think more successfully is when they go this is how it feels this is what we're trying to do and um, this might happen on the on the stage you know there might be this color mm. or uh, this is what she's all about or this is what he's all about and then what do you see and then generally I might put together like a mood board mm. which sometimes is like a Pinterest board or just literally a few images put together 
uh, very often reference stuff that's already around and more often than not I'll try to segue away from um, Hollywood I'm going to be very careful about that because I guess we're so brainwashed by a lot of Hollywood images yeah. and I say Hollywood I mean cinema Yeah, which a lot of them are um, stills with ridiculously good cameras and lots of lights and you know and the sort of stuff we do is a bit more kind of uh, DIY mm. it's a bit more kind of lo-fi um, I'm just saying random words now really okay. it sounds very hipster you know what I mean? <laughs> so I just nod and go yeah I'm also yeah, very yeah. cool <laughs> I, I try I mean I try to carry some things through like I try bring um, a sense I mean if it's a location shoot uh, like we, uh, we had recently yes I try to bring a sense of I guess framing or architectural kind of uh, context to it um, so there's a sense of place in some of them uh, and some of them end up being studio shots and they're a little more staged but sometimes that's what the play wants yeah. I mean I would love to get to a stage where I have a, a kind of an aesthetic or a language but because every piece is different it's hard to layer that backwards if that makes sense yeah but I you kind of have to give it what it wants yeah but I think equally if I'm walking through town I, I can spot a Steve Murray poster from 50 paces right. a lot of the time like I mean I think and, and as you say you do respond to each gig as it goes and there are, I mean you know if you think the difference between a poster for Petals at Theatre Upstairs versus a poster for The Good Father yeah. versus, you know, the At The Ford imagery and all that kind of stuff. It, it's all distinct and responsive to the piece in question. But I do think there's a Steve Murray style. I'm certainly... Too blind to see it. Maybe. <laughs> too in the middle of it. Too, yeah, I'm in, I'm in deep. Um, so, I, and I think part of the key of why people keep coming back to you is because you're one of us. You're not an outsider who happens to be a talented photographer or a talented designer, though you are both those things. <laughs> um, it's that you're one of us and you understand the nature of it. Um, and, and I guess, do you feel that you bring the understanding as a theatre artist from within what you're doing? Yeah, I think it helps having been in rooms and, and um, seeing something develop and then seeing what it becomes. So you see that kind of um, process and product. Um, I think just even knowing the lingo and that kind of thing it's the same way if I was to drift into more I don't know commercial world of doing a shoot for Coca-Cola or something that I, I'd be a little bit out of my depth because I'm well I don't drink Coca-Cola but do you know <laughs> it's that little thing of like yeah you know work with what you're familiar with yeah. and what you love um, and I am kind of obsessed by it and um, it's the same with headshots there's this weird even though they're these and the same with posters do these kind of fake um version of what it is you're trying to find a truth or an honesty in it if that makes sense um, I think that makes total sense yeah. we're all I mean you know for us in performance or making shows we're trying to find the truth and the yeah. honesty of it um, you've mentioned headshots quick question is there any actor in Dublin that doesn't have a headshot by you likewise they're very good at crediting me so uh, and social media helps it does all the advertising for you I'm not too um I'm not too, I only do headshots outdoors really that's my main song my, my approach and um, I it's it's really just about hanging out with someone and stripping back all that kind of performance and mm. uh, any kind of pretension um, trying to get to a kind of an honesty with them but again it's a lot of it is word of mouth and people are great at kind of recommending oh you know, I enjoyed that hour and a half, surprisingly. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of actors, particularly theatre actors who aren't used to being in front of the camera as much as people who do film and TV stuff, I, I, they can get very nervous around cameras. And oftentimes, when I don't have a good time on a photo shoot, it's when 
um, it's when the photographer is trying to impose an awful lot of stuff on it. I think particularly with headshots, it seems to me that the key is you're not trying to impose extra stuff on it. You're, like you say, you're trying to strip away and go, let's get an honest representation. Of, like still the, a, a very nice and aesthetically pleasing and kind of you on your best day, but actually you on your best mm. day, not some kind of airbrushed, sculpted, fake version that never existed in the first place. Yeah, that's a different thing. It's a, that's a Sunday magazine thing, which is fine as well. But what I'm trying to do with headshots is try to strip all that back. And I guess a lot of it is just in the approach. You know, I try not to think about st- the word style too much. I try to think about approach um, and how you how you approach things. So if you just really trust that process, then the, the results will follow, hopefully. Um, and so a lot of it is just treating people like you want to be treated. Mm. Do you know, just really relaxed. And that's why it's difficult in the winter, actually, because... Um, it's hard to relax outside in the freezing cold. <laughs> so, and you wouldn't be hanging out normally anyway in the freezing cold. So I, I kind of stopped them for a few months. Um, and maybe that creates demand in the summer then. I don't know. Oh, yeah, you get really exclusive. Maybe, like maybe. one of those Michelin star restaurants that's only open in the summer in like the <laughs> yeah. south of France. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're the Michelin star photographer of Irish theatre. Oh, like tiny, it. tiny photos. Do you... <laughs> plates. But he has like seven different portions of it. <laughs> yeah. Do you direct actors in headshot shoots? Yeah, I've lots of little tips. Um... But a lot of it is more uh, like sculptural, if that makes sense. It's not so much like, tell me about your deep past or tell yeah. me about the darkest moment. I don't know why I'm Batman all of a sudden. But it's not, it's not so much trying to get at, at that kind of thing in the eyes because I think that's more for a rehearsal room mm-hmm. or, or a, a development or a workshop. I think what I'm trying to do is yeah, get, get, get away from all that you know, and just present them as this kind of really neutral. And look, that doesn't suit everybody. Yeah. And that's fine. Some um, people need blue steel. Some people need that, and that's what they want, and that's what they're being put forward for. Yeah. Um, there's a whole, you know, it's not really seen by by uh, people on the street, but there's a whole machine there behind a lot of these things about how people are put forward for certain roles, and you know, and and you have to kind of respect that. Um, yeah. Um, talk to me then about capturing production shots. I know you do an awful lot of live music as well, um, because as you say. You know, you talk about studio shoots being a little bit more staged or headshots, you've got that hour and a half to to work with someone. Capturing something live in the moment, how different a skill is that, uh, whether that's uh, a music gig? Are they called music gigs these days? You can call them music gigs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that's whatever the young people call yeah, it. the Rinkas. Halat and Feroshta. Or whether that's ca- capturing production shots uh, from a theatre show. Is there a different technique to a different skill to it? Different approach even? I guess you're not so much, um, you're not as involved. Yeah. Uh, it, it's happening. And you can't say to uh, Mick Jagger, hey, do you mind just doing those moves again? Do you know? Or you can't say to whoever's up on the gate stage, uh, could you just do that jump again? I mean, sometimes, yeah, you can stage it again. Uh, if there's a certain lighting setup um, or there's a certain moment they want to get. But generally, I like to photograph dress rehearsals and be a fly on the wall it's mm. the same if I cover any events I'm not really interested in um, those kind of staged shots with a giant key and a ribbon being cut and a handshake um, but you'd be so good <laughs> no, no. I prefer to be this kind of creep that lingers around the room and gets people laughing and at their most natural Yeah. so I guess with production shots and similar to a live, live gig a live music gig concert uh, I'm 36 <laughs> I don't know what the words are and Rinkin Moore uh, so then we, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I let, let a bit, but the best thing about them is that the work is done. You know, it's, it, you're just trying to showcase a designer's work, a lighting designer's work, and um, the director's work in terms of, you know, staging and, and 
the overall vision and then I guess trying to get, get that, that moment when that actor flips that coin or you yeah. know, throws that bottle or whatever it is do you think that with your combination of skills as as a performer that you know what the actors might do as a photographer that you understand how a light designer might be playing with light and from the architecture background that you understand that the stage pictures a director might be making do you think you can preempt what's about to happen and and go I have a good feeling that this is going to be this kind of a thing so I'll get myself in that position and hopefully catch it does that happen like I'm not I'm not talking about ESP or premonitions but then just that in the way that a great ga player can anticipate mm. the past before it's done and makes the off the ball run can you do a bit of that yeah I've kind of noticed that recently um, maybe what was a kind of a gut instinct before I'm getting a bit more aware of now okay and that could be something simple, like you see uh, you see a light up above starting to come on and stage right is starting to light up and you're thinking, well, there's no one there now, yeah. but there will be. So you kind of have to be aware of things like that. And sometimes that's what's most difficult when you photograph a dress rehearsal and then someone says, what did you think? And you're like, oh, I wasn't really watching the show. Um, I was looking at the lights or I was looking at the, 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 the stage management or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, I wasn't really listening. You know, it's, it's kind of bad. I'm kind of looking at moments or looking at the light more so. Um, but yeah, I guess I hope as an actor I can start to see when something's being set up or um, built up. I mean, it's like obviously you're ca- caught off guard a lot, um, and there are moments where you're that second late. But uh, generally, I'd like to think I'm in position for a lot of the right time. Yeah, it seems to be good for us so far. I hope so. Um, tell me then about back to you as an actor working for camera as a dude who is so proficient with cameras and so comfortable with cameras, spend so much your time with them. How do you find then working for camera as an actor? Do, do you think it's an added understanding? Um, I think it depends on the piece and depends on who you're around. Yeah. Um, again, it's almost that trust thing with a director. Um, I, I find it. I, I find myself really comfortable around cameras, but also really excited. <laughs> uh, so I can. I, I, I find it hard to not um, get involved. Okay. You know, and just you just need to get a good director and a good DOP that you can trust, um, that you can just just be the actor on that day. Because yeah. otherwise, I'm looking at the lens, going, "Okay, they're doing a mid shot now. Uh, okay, that means uh, you know I can move my hand." Or yeah. you're thinking of those things, you know. Whereas usually, uh, you just you just you just be in the moment, I guess. Yeah, it's a point because I know I'm going to drop a whole load of names. Stephen Ray tells a story about my granddad, like really kind of nonchalantly throwing him, you know, the the fan out book of Lee color gel filters for lights. and go memorize those <laughs> on the basis that to be to, to truly be a great actor, not only did you need to like find your light under something, but you needed to understand the exact shade of pale blue wow. that was in the cool wash so that you could understand the vision and fully pre- now look that was arguably Ray just being pretentious and a bit of a bollocks which <laughs> may not have been that irregular at occurrence but I do think there I do think there is a thing of all knowledge is useful and having that additional technical knowledge around stuff can be of benefit to performance but I guess I guess like you're saying if only you know it's there and then can kind of forget it and get back to the performance yeah it's kind of known when to use it and when not to yeah um, because it'd be really, it can be really handy to kind of, because especially if the, maybe the director is, is like I do a lot of work with uh, student directors and they're kind of starting off and they're trying to find their voice. And if they, if you can kind of see from the, the gel that's on the light and the, the smoke machine that's in the corner, you can kind of get a feel maybe for the, the scene that they're going for. Um, especially if you get a chance to watch, watch some of the rushes back. But generally, um, you're trying to then 
become part of that vision if they haven't articulated it to you already. Uh, but hopefully the, the idea is that you get a great director who doesn't who just lets you forget about all that and just lets you focus on the job. Is it a bit like the Shakespearean thing where you do the work on the, the rhythm and the pentameter and all that and you get the, that kind of structure into your body first and then just let it go and actually play it like a real actor afterwards? Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's like before they shout action that I'm thinking about all this yeah. stuff and then the minute they shout action, you're just lost in the scene, hopefully. What do you think about the current state of Irish theatre? Big question. Big question. Yeah, glad you didn't start with that one. <laughs> uh, I think it's really healthy. Um, I think there's a lot of change going on at the moment, which is great. Um, a lot more awareness of where work is coming from, um, who is penning the work and who's behind it and what stories are being told. And that can only be interesting. Uh, I think we have a good mix of spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably do it a couple of different types, maybe more or better houses, maybe, that so that these spaces stay open. Um we definitely get a rush of stuff around September and October with the Fringe and Theatre Festival and to the point where I had to take a holiday after it all. I was wrecked. You did I went the away next for stage, week. didn't you? I, that, was two, that was a couple of years ago. Oh, it was a couple yeah, of years ago. That was brilliant. That was great. That was like uh, 20, 20 something shows in two weeks. It's a lot. And workshops every day. Brilliant. Um, I think that actually I went to the new place from Europe as a photographer when I just graduated. I, I forgot to mention that. That was a brilliant uh, week in Mines of Wiesbaden so it's this uh, festival that's on every two years and the year I was there um, Broken Talkers brought Blue Boy and so you're seeing that and you're seeing like it's almost like the Eurovision for <laughs> theatre you know you see a piece from each country and I saw great stuff yeah really great stuff um, and so having gone through something like the next stage as you watch a show are you watching it primarily as actor are you watching it primarily as photographer, designer? Is it a combination of all of the above? Are you able to switch any of that off and just enjoy a good show? Um, I don't think I can switch off. Yeah. I think you're always learning and you're always um, engaged, if the piece is hopefully engaging. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see it so much as a photographer. I mean, sometimes I think, oh, that would have been a great photo if there's a certain moment or a certain light and change or uh, whatever it is. But generally, I think I'm watching it as an actor. I think that's what you connect with. Uh, on, on, a, on the surface level straight away you know and then that that's your way into the text and into, yeah. the, into the piece so what does the ideal world for Steve Murray look like from here on in do you I mean is, do you think you keep all these balls in the air indefinitely would you like to edge more towards one side mm-hmm. or the other or yeah it's a question I get asked a lot like uh, if you had to pick yeah. Yeah, a gun to your head I don't know who would put a gun to your head to make you make a career choice some sort of weird career guidance counsellor or something but uh, that's a really strange mafia technique it really is take a career come on uh, I don't I, I, at the moment it's working yeah there's times when I'm super super stressed um, and that's just I'm learning more about that as I go on but I'd like to think that any as many disadvantages as there are there's as many there's even more advantages yeah. so for every con there's a pro or more um, so yeah if it gets busy and it gets like I'm running from one thing to another which means I can't I'd like to think that because I'm running from one thing to another I'm not overthinking the audition yeah. you know and as well when I'm waiting in an audition waiting room I'm not thinking I need to get this because I need to pay my rent yeah. you know I'm like well this would be great because it's an interesting project and I wouldn't have been here in the first place if I wasn't interested in who's, in who's involved and what, what it is so I can kind of pick and choose which is kind of a little bit um, selfish maybe but um, it means I'm not um, eight weeks on a, on a production that I'm not enjoying 
Um, so we went to Edinburgh this year with Malaprop and loved it. You know, it was a great gang and we had a great piece to work on Dylan Coburn Gray's script. Um, and I could have said no to that if you know if it wasn't because I don't need it for the money necessarily. Yeah. The, the photography pays the bills, so it's kind of nice to have that as a kind of cushion. But yeah, I think I don't know where, where what it, I mean. If I can keep juggling, then great. And if one took over, let's say I got a six week rehearsal in a certain role that needed that commitment yeah. and then a six week tour so it's 12 weeks that I'm not around to take photos I would just not take photos yeah. and generally people I work with know that I do both um, it's not like this secret alter ego <laughs> it's back to being Batman yeah <laughs> yeah, you know and then uh, so then it's they're cool with it they understand and generally stuff I do isn't um, unless it's a certain event like a, a you know electric picnic yeah. or um, the opening of a an opening night or something like that it's not time specific you know they say look anytime the next three weeks you're free um, and that goes for theatre photography as well as uh, architectural photography so they might say look while the while the leaves are still in the trees we'd like to get this house photographed or while the actor's still in the country we'd like to get the, the poster shoot for that play done um, so I don't know I, don't, I try not to set systems of that. I try not to set goals so I try not to say like, this time next year I'm going to be on the Abbey stage or this time in five years I'm going to have directed a feature uh, I try not to set goals I try to set systems so I try to say well on this day until that day next year I'm going to do one thing that gets me closer to that goal um, but if that could just be reading something or going to a show there or meeting somebody or reaching out to somebody um, and hopefully it works like that hopefully that works for me so then are there any things you're allowed to tell us about in the immediate future that we can keep an eye out for or is it all top secret um, let me think uh, I have well I have an exhibition up in Paris Court Centre that's going to be up till the end of January um, and that's really nice to get stuff printed and big and uh, it's just up there for anyone to see and you don't know who's looking at it uh, there's no clicks or you know stats about who's there it's just there and it's great and they're for sale which is nice uh, to think that maybe people might buy them and put them on their kitchen excellent, walls excellent Christmas present little, excellent Christmas present yeah um, if you get there in time and uh, that's great because a lot of that is stuff from, from travelling and, and just from being around and, and observation it's not work I went and made it's kind of work from the archive um, I use Flickr as my archive and it's, I've got like 25,000 photos that's a lot of photos it's a lot of photos and uh, something like uh, 3 million views so and that's just because it's there. It's the same as Power Squad, the, the, the exhibition that's just up there now. And you never know who's going to see it. So uh, if you don't kind of go for these things, um, they won't, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pass you by. Uh, and then I am working on a, a work in progress piece for Seen and Heard um, for February. I'm probably, probably not even allowed to say that. Oh, okay. Well, embargo. Embargo. But... I'm working on a piece for February. Yeah, that's how yeah. you phrase, isn't it? That's the, the form of words yeah. to say. So you're working on a new piece. This is you as writer? It's me as writer, performer, maker. I don't think it's going to be a kind of a um, traditional way of working. Uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just don't see myself as a writer. Uh, I think it'd be quite visual, I think. I think it's blending bits of photography. Um, it's kind of responding to the same themes that the exhibitions respond to. So in a way, I've got these like these existential thoughts that I'm getting out of my system through a, a photography exhibition and B, a one-man piece in February. For uh, no specific so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, similar to the great Aaron Monaghan, architecture's loss is Irish theatre's gain. 
Um, I am delighted that you are in the world because you make the world so much better and you particularly make the world of Rise Production so much better. Um, last question, who is your favourite Irish actor to photograph? Oh, big, big question. I will have to say you, don't I? No, no um, absolutely, you have to say me. That's why I've asked. All oh, right, is that the only answer? Absolutely, it's the only answer. Have I fo- well, I've only photographed you for what, at the Ford? No, and games. And games, yeah. Remember the, the mock-up one we did for that? Yeah. When we only had uh, the cake. Yeah, I did, yeah. And you weren't in it. No, you I were wasn't. That you I wasn't. Done it. <laughs> put Ango on the poster yeah, and yeah. sell seats. Put a cake with uh, two chess pieces yeah, on the poster because we couldn't get the other actor, I think. Was it? Or yeah, something? something like that. Uh, and Ango was raging that you weren't on the poster. Listen, just, it sells seats. <laughs> Steve Murray, you are the best. Thank you so much for Thanks joining for us, man. Thanks for having me. It's an honour. It's a privilege. Thank you. So there you have it, the brilliant Steve Murray. What a great chat. He's a guy who I'm hugely fond of and has been really integral to the success of us here at Rise. And I know he's been a hugely important cog in the machine for so many independent theatre companies around Ireland. So uh, long may he continue. And so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on in theatres around the country. At the Abbey Theatre, they have Let the Right One In and the brilliant they called her Vivaldi, which I brought my seven-year-old to see the other week. And it's just a phenomenal show. Just Louis Lovett being the amazing Louis Lovett. It's well worth checking out. And Genevieve is spectacular in it too. It's so worth checking out. Um, The Gate has the red shoes, which I am dying to get in to see. The Gaiety Panto continues. That, of course, is Rapunzel. Uh, At the board, gosh, they are going to have the Sound of Music featuring the great Lucy O'Byrne, sister of Rachel O'Byrne, star of The Good Father. Uh, That'll definitely be worth checking out. Uh, At Theatre Upstairs, they have Two of Clubs by Jessica Lean. Um, The Restoration of Hope is at the New Theatre in Temple Bar. At the Civic Theatre, if you listen to this today Friday we have The Good Father from Rise Productions finishing up there tomorrow Saturday the 9th and Rise Productions as you know are also still on the road with our Christy Hennessy show that'll be playing the big show at the Board Gosh Energy Theatre on Sunday the 10th do please come down and join us for that it's going to be an incredible evening it's the eve of Christy's 10th anniversary so it's a a nice moment to come together to celebrate the man and remember an astonishing singer-songwriter and just a a beautiful human being so do please join us on Sunday the 10th Uh, at the Viking in Clontarf they have As Time Goes By Bang Bang is at Bewley's Um, The Body Language by David Bulger is continuing at the RHA Gallery Uh, in Smock Alley they have The Grim Tale of Cinderella Uh, Project still has the last few performances of the Rough Magic Seeds showcase Mr Burns which I'm hearing incredibly good things about and then as we look around the country the Everyman in Cork has Beauty and the Beast down in Galway at the Town Hall they have Dirt Birds and Middletown Uh, the Lime Tree Theatre in Limerick has uh, Romeo and Juliet and then that'll be followed by Scrooge and up north at the Lyric in Belfast they have What the Reindeer Saw and Beauty and the Beast so look that's us that is episode 5 in the books we will of course be back next week for another conversation with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers but in the meantime this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally I'm Angus Og McAnally we'll see you next week 